Welcome back to this lucky number seventh episode of The Pitch. We will discuss a little bit about some baseball and the, um, the MLB network rankings of certain players. We will have our first guest on the show to, talk, to discuss some soccer and to round things off here on episode number seven, a Super Bowl hot take to get every single one of the foods burning on that hot on the hot take section. Episode number seven, let's get it started in here. Boom. Episode number seven of the pitch is underway. Let's play some ball. Put me in coach. I'm ready to play and I'm ready to talk people. So here is our short baseball section today. It is about MLB Network's player rankings. The player rankings come out annually. It is a, they have a machine that MLB Network calls the Shredder. And what the Shredder does is annually takes all the stats, all, all the everything. I'm not gonna get into what it is, but what, he, what it does is it compiles everything together and makes a top 10 per position. And I would like to talk about the shortstop rankings because um, I'm a little bit concerned about it. I'm a little bit concerned because I don't see the Yankees Glaber Torres on here. They, the, um, the shortstop rankings at the top is the Rockies shortstop Trevor Story. And in the second spot is Fernando Tatis Jr., the, the rookie sensation of the Padres that broke out as one of the league's best players. And I think even more surprising from my Yankee bias that I don't see Glaber Torres on there is that Tim Anderson of the White Sox is only number 10 after he won a batting title in 2019, only came behind DJ LeMahieu in 2020. He's been a great defensive player. He's been hitting for average over 320. Now it's, it's consistent. And the fact that he's behind the likes of Baez who had a down year, the likes of Correa who had a down year. I'm a little confused by it. And again, I'm confused by the, the exclusion of Glaber Torres. And it's no disrespect to Trevor Story or anything. I'm, I don't see, like he is a great player. I didn't think he was the number one ranked shortstop. I'll be real. I didn't think he was number one ranked. And I did just a little bit of research to compare both Glaber Torres and Trevor Story. I'm looking back on the last full season being 2019 as Story has been in the league officially since 2016, but his first major season was in 2017. He played 145 games. He also played 145 games in 2019, in which he hit two, he slashed 294, uh, 363, and, and 917. That is his average, his on base, and his OPS. Well, that's not the actual slash line. The three slashes are average, on base, and slugging. So those he hit, he averaged 294, on base was 363, and his slugging was 554. This is, of course, in 2019, over 145 games. Torres's slash line in the 2019 season went 278. Um, an average 337 
as an on-base and 535 slugging. So not an insanely large difference, 363 on-base for Story to, oh yeah, well, there's a little bit of a dip there in his on-base to Glaber's 337. Glaber was slugging 535 as opposed to Story's 554. Not a huge golf there. But Glaber has always been a middle-of-the-line hitter. He's never, he hasn't really hit for average too much. In 2019, he did crank 38 home runs and drive in 90, and drive in 90, where, where Story did just about the same, actually. He hit 35 home runs and drove in 85 and collected 85 runs batted in. I would imagine Story had more hits. In 2019, he had 173. And yeah, Glaber had 152. So there might be a little bit. The, the stats show that Trevor's story is definitely a bit superior to Glaber. But frankly, I don't see them. Why, why isn't he on here is my question is Glaber because there isn't too much to separate the two. I'm going to go on right now and just see his and I'm going to look up Tim Anderson's stats for 2019, over 123 games, please. He hit uh, over 123 games, missed a bit of time. He slashed 335, 357, and 508 average on base and slugging, uh, respectively. He hit 18 home runs, drove in 56. So maybe not the, the, the offensive productivity you'd want, but I mean, the 335 is, and 357 on base percentage shows that he doesn't really walk too much. I mean, why is Anderson down there at number 10? He's below the likes of, he's below, he's below the likes of Bichette. He's below, he's below the likes of Baez who had a down year. There's something a little bit off about this list. I mean, I think the other lists of almost every other position I actually agree with, but not so much this one, mainly because as I said, Tim Anderson's only at the bottom. I don't think I agree with the fact that Trevor Story is number one. I believe he's for sure a top five shortstop, but then as well as Glaber Torres, I mean, even his, his stats are just a little bit, a little less than than comparable to stories, but you can also see his impact on this team as well, despite a down year in the in the 2020 shortened 2020 season. Something irks me that that uh, Glaber isn't on that list. So he's gonna have to come out and prove himself that he is a top 10 shortstop in the 2021 full season. That's about all we've got today for baseball. Not too much has happened. Since the, um, since the explosion of free agent deals and trades in episode number six. So we're going to kick it right on over to the soccer, soccer side where a fellow podcaster will be my first guest, my first guest in the history of the pitch. He's going to be talking some soccer with me, the recent developments at Chelsea and where, that, and where Chelsea FC are headed in the future. Let's switch the play. Let's kick it over to soccer next. All right. Play has been switched on the pitch. We are back with the soccer part 
of the pitch today. And for the first time, we have a guest joining us here today on the pitch. He is a fellow podcaster, a fellow student of my, of with me at the University of Maryland. He has his own soccer-specific podcast called The Upper 90. It is my man Sam Culp joining me on the pitch today. Sam, how you doing, sir? Doing great. I'm doing great. Got a great result against Burnley last week for the Chels, so feeling real good. Up the Chels, baby, for sure. Uh, Sam is a fellow Chelsea fan just like me. We have talked about things. We may have our um, our differences in some views, but we are Chelsea fans through and through. He is here today to talk to me about the uh, the recent the recent happenings over on the on the west side of London. There have been there's been a sacking, there's been a hiring, and there may be some optimism at Stamford Bridge, as Sam has mentioned to me in the past. So. Of course, the sacking of Frank Lampard. You, you've mentioned to me that um, you said it was coming, did you? Yeah, I mean, it, you can't go from second to almost outside of the top half of the table within the span of a month without there not being repercussions. And we know Roman Abramovich in the past, is he, he has a quick trigger with managers. Um, so yeah, it was coming. I was still surprised when I saw the notification on my phone. It took me aback a little, but um, it doesn't matter who you are, club legend or not. You know, uh, when you spend over two hundred million pounds in the transfer window, you ha- you need to get results. Uh, you can't be in ninth place at this point in the season. So, you know, as much as it pains me to see Lampard go, because you know he is he's he's one of my favorite Chelsea players ever, leading goal scorer for the club, and did a lot of great things as manager, but. You know, it was, it was time to move on. Fair enough. I, I hear you there. Now, let me let me ask you a question. There's, um, you see it with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, manager of Manchester United. They're actually playing as we speak, and they're they're making a great result against Southampton. He's been at the helm for around two and a half, three years now, and there have been many, like many, calls for him to to get the sack. Ed Woodward, the chairman of Manchester United, has said has been consistent to stick with him and he's been given the time and look at what he's doing he's he's fighting for a title after two three years with limited and scarce resources now if you think now do you think Lampard if given that time could have been in the same position where maybe in a year or two he could have been challenging for the title with Chelsea there was always going to be a a bounce back for Lampard if he stayed. Yeah. I mean, that was Chelsea weren't going to continue dropping results as as poorly as they were. So, um, of course, I think Lampard would have picked things up back again, and maybe Chelsea would have had the rejuvenation that we're seeing now under Tuchel. But right. um, I, I think the bottom line is, you know, you talked about Man United, and um, you know. They're off and on, you know, feud, I guess, right. with with Ole. It's it's a different ownership group. It's a different mentality. And I know this is going to upset some Man United fans, but Chelsea has always been, or I mean, for, for the last 10 years plus, has always been win first mentality. If the right. manager is not winning, then they're gone. It doesn't matter who you are. So, you know, that maybe Lampard bounces back, but I don't think that chance could have been taken. And, and with Tuchel coming in, he's, he's a proven winner. And already we're seeing uh, his effect on the squad. 
Absolutely. Win first mentality is the way to go. Now, before we get into Thomas Tuckle, Chelsea's new manager, do you think that if this sustained period goes on with Tuckle, Tuckle is their new manager, do you think Abramovich, if there is a dip in form, should give him a chance? Basically, what I'm asking is, do you think that Abramovich going forward needs to give the managers a little bit more of a chance or keep that win first mentality? Well, of course, depending on the situation. Right, right. It depends on the situation. With Lampard, it it wasn't just the results. You could see that something was off with the squad. Definitely. Um, and, you know, going back a couple of weeks, they beat Fulham 1-0 in a, a close match that shouldn't have been close. Let's be honest. Right. Fulham are at the bottom of the table. That, right. that match, Chelsea should have destroyed them. And then they come back against Leicester, a huge match, a match that you expect the squad to get up for. And they looked flat the entire time and they lose 2-0. So I, I think that was the last straw. It, it, it was the last straw for Abramovich and he pulled the trigger. Um, if, if something like that happens again, I don't think it's really matters who the manager is. If, if that exact situation happens again, but um, you know, that this is just how it's always been with Abramovich and Chelsea mm -hmm. like it or not. That's the way things are. Um, it, yeah. So, um, yeah. again, it, it, it disappointed me to, to see Lampard go out like that, but, uh, Tuchel is going to get this club back in the top form. I'm confident about that. I love it. I love the confidence myself and the King power stadium, obviously lightning strikes twice. Jose Mourinho was dismissed in the winter time right. in 2015 after he lost two one to Leicester's title winning side. Lampard falls victim to his former manager. Now, you've been saying the name Tuckle. That is the name at the helm at Chelsea right now. Lampard's successor is a German manager, formerly managed. Uh, he managed Borussia Dortmund. He brought Christian Pulisic through the ranks at Dortmund and brought him up into the Dortmund side, which eventually led to his transfer to the Blues. And most recently, he worked with PSG with the likes of Neymar and Mbappe, but a little bit more notably, for, for Chelsea fans, he also worked with Thiago Silva. He's got experience with great players. He's got experience with Silva. He's got experience with Pulisic. But he is also a German manager. Chelsea brought him in to get the best out of Timo Werner and the best out of Kai Havertz. So you do think he's the perfect man for the job because of his experience. And now he's going to try and get the best out of some young players. So under this side right now, uh, it is... It's a been a bit of a change of formation as Tuckle has switched to a three center back formation with wing backs as opposed to Frank's flat four back formation. So the switch in formation has looked to be a pretty good one as the, the side looks, as you said, to be rejuvenated, something I totally agree with. Now, would you think if, if Timo and Kai get back up to speed, do you think they'd be one of the most important players in the side? Or do you think it would maybe be the likes of Thiago Silva, the likes of Christian Pulisic? Do you think the relationship would be important between people who he's worked with already or those he's going to be raising? Um, I mean, I, both. I mean, let's, let's, um, we can yeah. look at it from both sides, really. Sure, you sure. Know, Pulisic and Silva and uh, Silva are already two of the most important players in the squad. Thiago Silva specifically um, has just been tremendous this season. And the fact that, that Chelsea got him on a free transfer is just an absolute bargain. Oh yeah. Um, and those relationships that 
uh, Tuchel built at PSG with him. It's just going to carry over now to Chelsea. Um, he is the le- Silva is the leader of this squad. He's the backbone of the squad. Um, and arguably, in, in my opinion, he's been the best player for them this season. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Plisic as well. You know, he hasn't quite shown uh, – he hasn't certainly hasn't been as good as he was in the restart last season. But uh, we know his level. We know how good he can be when he's on his top form, and he'll get there at some point. But um, building those new relationships with Havertz and Werner is really important. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't know anything, but it, it often felt like with Lampard that there was a little bit of a disconnect between uh, what Lampard wanted, specifically Timo Werner, and what Absolutely. was showing up on the pitch. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to think that contributed to his, his poor form of late. Um, and Tuchel is German. He's, you know, he's, I don't think, he's never managed um, Werner and Havertz, but he knows how to get the best out of them. And um, certainly like the smaller things like the language barrier and yeah. and um, knowing the, the difficulties of transitioning to the Premier League from the Bundesliga is going to help. Totally, totally. So I was, we were talking pre-show, we were talking about um, the switch in formation has also brought about a few switches in players. And I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it on my actual pod about, about the importance of Chelsea's depth, but the, but a a key figure seems to be emerging in young 19 year old Callum Hudson, Adoy. he's played on the right. He's played as right wing back for the first two games of Tuckle's reign and that's not a familiar sight because not only is he not a wing back, he's not. He's also displaced Reese James, who is Chelsea, who's been base, who was one of Chelsea's best performers before this poor run of form. So if you were to if you were to keep Hudson, would you keep Hudson Adoy in there if he was to guarantee those performances? And would you be upset to see Reese James uh, drop out of the side? And the same the same question. Basically, would you be willing to sacrifice? certain players coming off the bench if they emerge for other players. Well, with Hudson Adoy, he's deserved his place in the squad. Absolutely. I mean, every every time he stepped on the pitch this season, pretty much he's made an impact. And in these last two matches, he's been Chelsea's best attacking threat. Mm-hmm. Um, he, even though he's not traditionally a wing back, he really fits well into uh, Tuchel's formation, um, having the three in the back and then, and then using uh, the wing backs like uh, Hudson Adoy and um, who was on the other side in the last match. The last one wasn't Chilwell. It was Alonzo, yeah, right? Alonzo, Alonzo, right? So you know, it's it's certainly a change from Lampard, but mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he deserves a spot. And then with Reese James, we know how good he is. I mean, when he's at his best, he's one of the best right backs in the league. Um, so. Yeah, I'd like to see him back in the squad, but then you're sacrificing as Piliqueta and maybe Hudson Adoy. Right. Um, and and you know even Rudiger and Alonso, two two guys who haven't played much in the Chelsea squad. Alonso mm-hmm. not having played in three plus months. Yeah, something like that. Chance. I think the last time was since September or something like that. Right. I mean, he gets a chance against Burnley and scores a wonder goal and Dang. plays really well. So there are going to be sacrifices and. You know, one 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 um one thing I heard, I think it was on Twitter or something, uh, 
this was a criticism of Lampard that he was too friendly with the players. He was too much of a player's coach and at times wouldn't, didn't make the tough decisions. It, it, it often seemed like he mm. didn't know what the, um, what the necessary lineup was and didn't make the correct calls. And we saw that play out uh, across the last couple of months before he was sacked. I, I think Tuchel is experienced. He knows how to manage a squad and he's, he knows already, it seems, uh, who, is ta- who his most talented players are. For sure. I'm going to go back to that. that You said that he was too friendly. I haven't, I hadn't seen that, but you, you make a good point. Why start Timo if he's in such poor form? I I've heard and I've said, and I believe that I think the only way for Timo to get out of this rut of form that he's in is to play out of it. But then they say he plays out of it, but he's not performing. And then it just almost gets to a point where, no, you can't, you can't deal with it anymore. And you do have to make tough decisions. That's a good point that you bring up. He was perhaps too friendly. So you're, you're right. Tuckle is definitely a guy who isn't going to, he's, he's not, he's, he he won't make the friendly choices. He will make the right choices, even if they are the ones that you might not think are the correct ones. You, You make a very good point about that. He hasn't started. He didn't start Timo in the Burnley game. No, 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 no. He did start him. He did start him. He was on the yeah. left. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he did. But the, was he? T- I actually, I didn't watch the game. Was he taken off after a while? Um, did he go the ninety? I don't. I didn't watch the game. I think he went the ninety. He did go the ninety. Okay. Yeah, he did. So obviously, I'm then he, sure, he hasn't. Yeah. He hasn't played terribly. So, but there have been no, games. He played well in that game. He played yeah. well in that match. And the, but there had been games where you see it all the time, where he's just where he's stuffing open chances, and it's not to punish the guy to take him off after he's missed, but you just sometimes need that extra spark off the bench. What do you, what would happen if he brought Hudson Adoy on and moved Pulisic to the other side and put Hudson Adoy on the right for Timo? You're definitely, you make a very good point that, that he was definitely too friendly of a manager and wanted to give players his chances. Of course he needed to give players his chances, but you're, you're right. He's already made some, some pretty, you, you would think that they're that they'd be skeptical decisions to put Marcus Alonso in in his first real starting yeah. 11. Of course, the game against ballsy. it was and the game, of course, the game against Wolves last week was after only one training session. So this game against this past game against Burnley was his first real matchup where he had a chance to field a, a knowledgeable 11 and to put Alonso in there. You said it, it was a ballsy move and it paid off. And then some, because not only did he play well defending, he's like you said, he scored a great goal, which, by the way, Christian Pulisic did assist. So there is, seems to be a little bit of optimism going down the road. Chelsea plays Spurs on Thursday. It is Tuesday today. And you, you, you said something to me prior to recording this, that in the Burnley match, you said that you, for the first time in a while, you weren't worried watching them. Spurs are a decent team. They are down for the count with Harry Kane being injured now. Do you think if Chelsea can bring that momentum from Burnley into the the whole not worried aspect, if you can watch them and not be worried that eventually they will score, do you think they'll take Spurs down? Do you think they'll they'll get through this month? The end of the month, they face Manchester United. They need a nice run of form to go up against them. Do you think they'll be able to carry it through if... And do you think they'll be able to maintain what they showed against Burnley? I'm certainly confident after seeing two matches of Tuchel. I mean, I'm not, you know, you can't guarantee anything. And going back into the, to, uh, to the Arsenal match, um, 
you know, we, we all thought that was, well, Chelsea should have won that game handedly. Right. We, we were nervous as Chelsea fans because, yeah. you know, it, it was a big match and there's potential for Arsenal to, you know, get motivated for it and come out and play great, which they did. Mm-hmm. It's the same situation this week against Spurs. They are, they're, they're dropping quickly. Their defense has fallen apart. They've lost Harry Kane. They just lost to Brighton 1-0 mm-hmm. in a match that shouldn't have been 1-0. Brighton really dominated um, Spurs. So, yeah, you know, on paper, this should this should be three points for Chelsea. They're a better team right now than, than Tottenham. But you just have – there's there's still – you know, I'm confident, but there's still a, a tiny bit of, of anxiety. Well, right. not a tiny bit. There is anxiety. Um, surrounding this match because it's a London derby and you know you know Spurs are going to get up Jose Mourinho against his former club you know that that's motivation for him but um, you know I I'm, I'll be curious to see what lineup Tuchel puts out because I think against Burnley is definitely much more attacking minded lineup than certainly we were used to seeing under Lampard and will he continue that and be really aggressive against Spurs um, yeah, all things to watch for in, in the lead up, you know, uh, but, but right now I'd, I'd put my money on Chelsea. Absolutely. I would put the, I would put, of course, maybe a bit of bias with that flag behind me, but I've got a little bit of bias towards Chelsea myself. You said all the right things. Their defense has kind of been, has kind of been lacking as of late and, um, and Mourinho's play style is, is kind of being figured out a little bit here. And it's, it seems that especially after the Brighton game, that Harry Kane might be their integral point of it. They, he's, of course, changed his role a little bit. He's become their focal point of the counterattack, of, of Spurs' counterattack. And it seems that teams are figuring out how to deal with it without um, Kane in there to release Hingman's son. And without, those, without that key player in Harry Kane, who personally I think he's the second best striker in the world right now behind Lewandowski, without him... There isn't much to the Spurs team, in my opinion, and there looks to be a lot more to be excited about for this Chelsea side than there is with the Spurs side. So I think if Chelsea are able to handle the counterattack, something that was was lacking under Lampard as maybe their center backs, not their center backs, excuse me, their their wide backs got too far forward. Reese James gets caught in the attack. Maybe this is a game where Hudson-Odoi maybe drops to the bench in, in preference for Azpilicueta, who is a more defensive-minded player. And plays like that, it's, it would be, as you said, it would, he, he can't be making the, he can't be friendly here. He's, he knows which choices he has to make, does Tuckle, and he, he will make the right decisions for sure, as he showed in this, in this Burnley match. He, he was not coming out. He sat Mason Mount, who, I believe has been their best player this season, at least their most consistent player. And, and that's really all there is to it is that if, if Tuckle makes the right choices, I think, and as, and if this Chelsea team come to play, as you said, they did not come to play in this art in the London Derby against Arsenal. If they show up here against Spurs and they, um, and they, they stick to their game plan, I think they're going to be able to do it. So from one Chelsea fan to another, you, you speak the true facts. Yeah, I mean, they, they they have everything going right for them right now. Absolutely. Um, and and going back to to um, the decision making and the the tactics for Tuchel, you you against Burnley and even against Wolves, there was a different energy in the side, and I think a lot of that has to do with 
Tuchel being a lot more, um, you know, I, the analogy a lot of people use is that, uh, you know, the the handbrake idea where Lampard, Lampard always had his hand, one foot on the brake. It was always, you know, yeah, Chelsea would attack, but it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't aggressive. It never felt like um, you could count on the side for goals. And even, even against Burnley, they had some chances and missed, but it feels like that handbrake has been taken off. Absolutely. And um, Tuchel is not afraid of, you know, pushing forward, uh, getting getting those win back, wing backs pushing forward. As Piliqueta, I've never seen him attack so much over the past two two matches. I mean, he, he's, yeah. you know, he scored a goal. I mean, that's um, doesn't happen much anymore. Doesn't happen much. So uh, that, that's a good sign to me. Although you still have to be worried about a good counter attacking team like Spurs, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, they have everything going right for them. And I'm not going to doubt Tuchel until I have reason to. So, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm taking Chelsea all the way. There it is. I'm taking Chelsea myself. A little bit of bias never hurts, does it? So that is all for our soccer section of the pitch. Sam Culp, thank you very much for joining me. He Again, his podcast is called The Upper 90. You can find it on the WMUC Sports section of SoundCloud and in the description to this to this episode of the pod, I will put his his pod as well as his Instagram down in my description. Sam, thank you so much for joining us again, and we will you will we'll, it'll not be the last time we see you. We're going to be having some more expert analysis from my man Sam Culp on the pitch again. Hot take coming up next, Sam. Thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you. It is hot take time on Lucky episode number seven of the pitch. And to close things out, it is Super Bowl weekend, folks. We got the Chiefs, we got the Pats, we got Tom Brady the GOAT, and we've got Patrick Mahomes, the next coming of him. And I've been seeing it all over the media that I'm not going to predict who's going to win or or what the score is going to be, because frankly, I don't know. It is going to be a great game, and I don't want to predict anything because I don't want anything going haywire. I just want to watch this game, enjoy it, and see basically the king and his prince stepping up to play each other. Now, my hot take here is based off of a topic that has been talked about all over the media ever since the Chiefs and the Bucks were going to be playing. It's that I've been seeing that People are calling this Patrick Mahomes' biggest game of his career in the sense that if Brady beats him, he will never become the greatest of all time, will Patrick Mahomes, and it'll be Brady's crown forever. Please keep in mind that this is Patrick Mahomes' fourth season in the league, and he is already getting these comparisons and these, these knocks on him that this is going to be the biggest ever game. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous to me. Not only will this be Patrick Mahomes' biggest ever game, he can still become the GOAT if he loses. It's going to take so much to to get there, but it is still in the realm of possibility because you have to define great through many different things. You have to define it through stats, the two big things being stats and play style because right now, not because – it's, it's no question that Brady's the best of all time. He's, he hasn't put up huge regular season numbers like we saw Breeze do, like we saw Peyton do. But just look at the guy in the playoffs. I mean, this is his 10th Super Bowl appearance for crying out loud. And it's, it's amazing to watch him. 
I, I don't like Tom Brady in any way, shape, or form or any team he plays on. But it's just frankly unbelievable to watch him perform, especially in the big moment. As long as his team makes it to the playoffs, you can, you can almost, almost guarantee finishing at least in the Super Bowl, if not winning it, which is crazy. Now, the fact that he has taken this team, I said not on this podcast necessarily, but I said before this season that if he took this team to the AFC championship, sorry, the NFC championship, I'm still hung up on the fact that he was with the Patriots for 20 years. But if he took this team to the NFC championship game, regardless of the result, there was no more debate that he would be the best, the best of ever to ever do it. He has. And I don't think that a, not only has he taken them to it, he has won it. And personally, I don't think a Super Bowl is going to do, well, of course, it's going to be a seventh Super Bowl for him, but it's, I don't think that's too necessary anymore because it won't do a world of difference because just getting the Bucks this far with the talented roster and everything proves he's the best to ever do it. And of course, we'll only be able to talk about Mahomes in the twilight of his career, which as we're seeing fit right now, there is, we are still, the sun is still rising for Patrick Mahomes in his young career so far. So he's already won Super Bowl MVP once. He's going to his second consecutive Super Bowl. It is ridiculously tough to repeat. I actually don't even know who the last team to repeat was. To me, it would take, it, it's going to take a real trek for Mahomes to, to do it if he loses this game. But I still think he could, this is not his biggest game. His biggest game is not going to be coming in his fourth season in the league. He is progressively getting better. And I think it'll be, the big game will be maybe if, if there is, if, if his Chiefs keep the same squad and potentially could even have, a, have an undefeated run at the playoffs. If they go into the playoffs undefeated, then we will have to talk about how huge these games will become. And that all depends on what Andy Reid does in terms of bringing some of his players back, some of his coaches back. Of course, Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, has stayed after the Houston Texans opted to not hire him. But they have to make the right re-signs. They have to keep the offense the way it is. They've got to maintain the defense. There isn't much wrong with this team, and the same can be said about the Bucs, but they've only got Tom Brady for what seems to be a limited amount of time, and everybody has come back and said that since his age 38, 39 season. He's 43 now. So who knows how much longer Tom Brady could be around the league. It's going to be for longer than Mahomes. It's, it's, Mahomes is going to be around longer than Brady. That is for certain, at least not, not in terms of longevity, but just in terms of the future we're going to be seeing a lot more of Mahomes in the next few years than we will with Brady but his fourth season I don't think this is Mahomes's biggest game I don't think it's Brady's biggest game either because it will be a huge game for his legacy but you could you could see it in both ways you could also see it as it is Brady's biggest game because this is his chance to clinch the fact that he is the best to ever do it I think by getting the, the Bucks to the AFC championship, he is already, he doesn't even need the Super Bowl to tell everyone that he's the best to ever do it. But Mahomes is a baller. He's an entertaining quarterback to watch, especially when it comes to prime time. 
Brady, not so much, but boy, does he get it done, you know? They are two completely different quarterbacks playing with two completely different play styles. But the thing that they have in common is, boy, are they talented. They've got a loaded roster as well. But hey, I definitely don't think this is Mahomes' biggest game of his career. Some would argue that it's Brady's biggest game of his career. That's not my argument, though. My argument is that Mahomes is going to have so many bigger games ahead of him. Even if he could get up to a fourth or fifth Super Bowl, I personally don't think Mahomes needs to pass or equal Brady to become the best to ever do it. If he gets, he, he does need to win more though. I've, and that goes without saying, maybe if he gets to within, within two or three, if he wins four or five Super Bowls, getting MVP at the majority of them, he may have a case for himself. <clears throat> But Mahomes is only in his fourth season. He's in that first year of his mega deal that cost the Chiefs half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars? Oh, my gosh. And he's going to have so many bigger games to be coming in his future. So he definitely has a lot to prove here because this is the, this is the master and his apprentice. I've used many words for it just in this. I said the king and his prince. This is also the master and his apprentice. But I don't think Mahomes' legacy boils down to his second Super Bowl appearance in four se- in only four seasons of play. I don't think it, it's what it boils down to. If Brady does win this, there's going to be a real Everest to climb. There's going to be a real mountain to climb for Mahomes to do it. But the, right now, there's such a gulf in quality between quarterbacks. You, you talk about who the best quarterback in the league is. You talk about who it is below Mahomes. Talking about Aaron Rodgers, he they were they're talking about him below Mahomes, especially because he can't win an NFC championship game. Nevertheless, against the best to ever do it, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, couldn't take Tom Brady out of it, but Mahomes' legacy doesn't boil down to his fourth season. He of course does not want to be the second best to ever do it behind anybody. But you would, you would assume that this is a bigger game for Tom Brady because I even though I do not believe that he needs his seventh Super Bowl to prove he's the best to ever do it, most people will say that he needs it. Most people will say he needs this Super Bowl to say that he's the best to ever do it. And it'll be a real mountain to climb for Mahomes if he, if he does lose this Super Bowl. But I think that it is absolutely possible that he can catch Brady. If he, if he, if he does win this Super Bowl, it's, it's bigger. A win for him is bigger in his case than a loss. If he wins it, he can come close. He can say that he beat the GOAT. He can say he's among only a certain, certain list of quarterbacks, <coughs> Eli Manning, that can say he, that he beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. And it's a part of, it's a, part of a short, decorated list of quarterbacks. No New York bias in that or anything like that. But Mahomes, his, his legacy of being the greatest to ever do it does not even come close to boiling down to this one game. That is the hot take this week. He has got so much more time to prove how good he is. He's got a loaded roster to do it. We're going to be seeing the Chiefs. I mean, it's going to get to the point where it's going to be boring how many times we're seeing it in the Super Bowl. It's it's almost a bit of a changing of the guard from the Pats being in the Super Bowl all the time. Now it's going to be the, it, it's going to be the chiefs all the time. 
we're going to be seeing a run from the Chiefs that only Tom Brady has done before. And we're going to start seeing it where, where, his, where Mahomes' name is going to be brought up with Tom Brady's Patriots. And then when, when people start comparing him and seeing how amazing he's done in the regular season, it's going to become apparent that the two are still comparable. And eventually they may have to cave if, if Mahomes does well enough in the postseason because there is still a, certainly a chance, even if he loses. So the hot take this week, Mahomes' career and his, his legacy to potentially become the greatest of all time does not boil down to this Super Bowl game against the greatest right now, Tom Brady. Boy, it'll be a fun Super Bowl to watch between the master and his apprentice, Tom Brady, and Patrick Mahomes, the Bucks versus the Chiefs. I'm not going to predict anything, but of course, me being from New York, I want to see Patrick Mahomes take down Tom Brady. I will be rooting for the Chiefs in this one, but it'll, I, I don't know it'll, if it'll be there. I'm imagining it won't be anything short of entertaining from the two sides. It'll be a fun one to watch and it'll be a fun podcast to listen to. My next one, episode number eight, will be coming out next week around this time, if not a day earlier. Once again, I would like to thank Sam Culp for joining me on my podcast to, to discuss some Chelsea stuff. He will be back on plenty more times. You will hear his voice a lot. And <clears throat> excuse me, I will plug his pod and his Instagram in the description. Thank you so much once again for listening. Once again, your boy, Michael Kirsting, that is Michael with a Y, is out for now. See you on episode eight. Thanks again for listening, folks.